I hear there's rumors on the uh, internets. Greetings from Bratislava, Stockholm and London. My name is David. And I'm Henrik and you're listening to the Check Your Facts podcast. So, David, a few weeks ago you were in uh, Warsaw, Poland. Um, have you been to any other cool places since then? Well, I often go to Austria with my wife since it's uh, very close to Slovakia. Other than that, no, not in the last few months. How about you? Can't say that I have, unfortunately. Um, but I will soon go to Vietnam, though. And I plan to go to Amsterdam by the end of April. Uh, and both of them are business trips, by the way. That's nice. That's, that's really actually nice. Um, I've always wanted to go to such cool places, especially Vietnam, for, uh, for business. Yeah. Maybe one day. <laughs> it is pretty cool, but still, it's nothing compared to our next guest. And wh why is that? Because, let me tell you, she's quite the globetrotter. I mean, during her stint at Hackpack as uh, lead of Latin America and the Caribbean, Caribbean, she's been six months in Jamaica, five months in New York, two months in Berlin, and three months in London. And on her LinkedIn profile, she writes that she's active in Jamaica, Canada, Scotland, Argentina, Hong Kong, USA, and Germany. Wow, that's astonishing. I want to hear everything about this. And with that being said, you know what comes next, right, Henrik? Yeah, I think I do. Well, with that being said, let's welcome today's guest, Farah Mohamed. Uh, it's very nice to have you with us, Farah. Welcome. Hi, delighted to be here, guys. How you doing? Third time is the charm, they say. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> We've been having audio difficulties. Um, As usual. Um... <laughs> <laughs> Not there, we got them. You, you can read all about that in our next blog. We'll surely blog about this because it's, yeah. it's a <laughs> it's never a ending experience. story. I mean, um, Farah, you have been yes. like everywhere have you, mm -hmm. and you've seen it all. How do you? <laughs> no, not all of it. Most of it. Not all most of it. it. Most of it. Yeah. Um, so when you're like, when you're in Jamaica or New York or Argentina or, you know, wherever you, you are, because you're everywhere. Um, how do you communicate with people back in Europe or the United States or Jamaica? Um, Jamaica is where you started off as a journalist. Is that right? Yeah, Jamaica, Jamaica was my baptism by fire. Um, yeah, well, it really depends on the country you're in. So in a place like in a place like New York or a place like London, the infrastructure is really good and people tend to have to have really good internet. And um, so there actually it's it's like too much communication um like for example with my team we have our monthly meetings on google hangouts but we have individual meetings on um on skype but we um talk to each other continuously through day on slack as well as being friends on facebook so what's going on there in terms of just trying to remember who's mm. keeping in touch where but in places like um in Jamaica, where um, not saying anything bad about it, but they're just setting up the digital infrastructure, like they don't really have a digital news scene there yet. I think they launched their first site a couple of years ago, which is very exciting for us. But even so, people just aren't used to that culture, um, and <laughs> trying to do a media meeting from Jamaica is. <laughs> do you, have you ever tried to like Skype your parents? 
Yeah. <laughs> yes, yes, definitely. <laughs> Everybody everywhere can relate to this. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah, well, it really depends on the country, but um, this is strange. Acting in journalism, um, people think it's really good to be connected a ton of the time, but when I'm in countries where I'm forced to be, where they just don't have Wi-Fi in every cafe, for example, and it's just really hard to get, and I have to go six good hours without internet, you report a lot better when you're not constantly being bombarded by your editor or um, the people you should be talking to, um, and you really you do get to connect with people more on the ground. So I do think there is something that um, maybe developed cities are losing out in that way. But then you know I get back to London and I spend all day on Facebook, so I'm kind of a hypocrite. <laughs> <laughs> um, I just wanted to clarify one thing um, mm -hmm. about Jamaica when you said that you were the first one to launch a, some sort of website. No, 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 we were the first ones. So Jamaica is um, in so news ecosystems in every country are very, very different. And I found Jamaica is one of the ones that is the most different of all the countries I've lived in, mm. where um, we're still very print based. Most people are still reading the paper, like physically getting it delivered to them, picking it up on the street. People just don't use their phones to get news, like not even people my age. Now people will like um, will use Facebook and social media because that's just sort of ubiquitous. Mm. But in the way that you see audiences here are obsessed with mobile and that's growing, that's just not happening back home in the same way. And we're still pretty radio heavy, we're still pretty broadcast heavy, and that's just a lot to do with yeah, infrastructure and things outside of the media organization itself. But Jamaica is trying to to enter the digital sphere and they um they launched their first I think their first digital news website, I think it was three years ago. Oh wow. For something called Check Your Facts, like don't hold me to that. <laughs> I don't, I don't know exactly what it was. It was recently. And um, it's doing pretty well. But it's, it's again, it was really interesting to me to note how everyone is talking about, um, you know, how people just don't read the same way or how people don't interact with news in the same way. And when you live in so many countries, you realize, well, maybe not in one place. Um, but it, it, it's really difficult to make that generalization because in Jamaica, I still think the print media, for example, holds a lot of trust. Like people still really do look up to journalists and trust what they're saying. Can you imagine that? <laughs> that still happens somewhere. Um, it's actually nice that it's somewhere. Like... Right? <laughs> Um, well, I mean, it's a good and a bad thing, but um, yeah, so that's Jamaica. But then I went to New York, so you can imagine. Yeah, yeah. Wow. quite yeah, quite the opposite sort of. But um, <laughs> what were you doing in Jamaica? So I'm actually from Jamaica. I am a Jamaican. Um, and um, I went and I studied abroad and eventually, yeah, I, I, I wound up, I, Hackpack and I got together quite funnily. I was setting up an NGO. Um, I was trying to set up an NGO in Latin America and the Caribbean because something I noticed about foreign news organizations, so the major news organizations like you know, The Guardian or The New York Times, The Financial Times, um, they would want to cover foreign events, but they'd always be using their own journalists to do it. Um, and I remember being in Kingston um, once and there was this, I mean, it's a very small island, not much happens, but um, it was two weeks. Um, we had this little... I wouldn't call it a civil war because a civil war is a serious, like, it wasn't big enough to be a civil war, but the King, Kingston literally exploded. The police were fighting the civilians and it became a big thing. The big media houses sent people in to cover the conflict. And it was so expensive and they got it so wrong because they could only be there for two to three days. They didn't know the culture. They didn't know the people. And it was a real struggle for them to try and get everything done. And so I'm... I feel like people are constantly talking about how skewed news is and how, how people don't get it right. But then again, you look at these journalists who are sent here with 
such limited resources in such a short space of time, and they're doing the best they can. Um, and it was such a shame to me because I knew so many good journalists on the ground there who would have covered that perfectly well. Like now we have the internet. You don't need to be sending people. You don't need to be spending that much money. You get much better, more nuanced coverage if these places would only reach out to local journalists. And um, I think people are really quick to write that off as an elitist thing. Like say editors yeah. don't want to hear from freelance journalists or editors. Editors only want to use their own people. But going to talk to them, like when you talk to editors advice or at the Guardian or whatever, they really want to hear from the people on the ground. But they have to know that they can trust them. Um, and how do you, it's weird to do that still without meeting people. Like society's still struggling to catch up, I think with technology in a lot of ways. So like you can talk to someone online, but it's not the same as knowing, knowing that you know someone who knows them or something like that. Yeah. And so I wanted to set up an NGO. Um, I got lucky enough to, to go to the States and study at Northwestern, get a good, um, get a good fellowship, which let me start doing this where I was going to try and set up a way to verify journalists on the ground um, because Latin America is, it's a very lively place that has a lot of news going on. It has a lot of amazing journalists who aren't getting published, even though they could write in English. So I wanted to verify them and um, help start a community and some kind of forum and, and try and bolster the journalism community in Latin America through getting them exposure. And Hackpack was doing the exact same thing in Russia because there was a, the founder was pissed off at the coverage. Um, well, oh my gosh, how do I not remember this? There's something terrible happening right outside of Russia. Do you know what I'm talking about? Um, not Ukraine? Uh, I don't know. We there you go. Well done. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> okay. Sorry? Yes, Ukraine. There you go. Oh, okay. Um, he had seen the same Um, So only that. Um, So basically, he heard when I got a grant for this, it was announced, and he got in touch with me on Twitter. Um, hmm. And he was like, hey, wow. that's a really cool idea. I would actually like to get a grant about this too. Can you give me some tips in grant writing? And we set up a Skype meeting and we didn't totally hate each other. Um, and we decided to join forces. And that's how I ended up in Hackback. So I was working six months, um, m like merging anything I'd done with Hackback um, in Jamaica. And then I went to New York and then we've been working together ever since. That was a very long uh... story, sorry. <laughs> but a very, you know, very inspiring story because I immediately come immediately come to think of this. Um, you know, the last night in Sweden thing that happened a few weeks ago when Donald Trump yeah. said blah blah blah. Uh, it's horrible what happened in Sweden last night, and everybody was like, mm -hmm. "What happened in Sweden last night?" <laughs> and all of the Swedes <laughs> were like, "Oh, whoa, hey, sorry, what happened last night?" I don't know. I live here, but I have no idea. <laughs> Donald, please tell me what happened. And uh, the thing is that you know this. Um, be, you know, it became quite a thing in Sweden, and it it quickly escalated, especially when you know there was a guy I don't remember his name, but but a guy from the United States who came here to Sweden, and he and he got to this uh, suburb which is sometime called. Uh, uh, um, no-go zone. Oh, it's a no -go area. We've had some riots uh, and stuff. So he came here only to go to this no-go zone, and he reported what you know what he saw. And it was like um, it really it annoyed the Swedes pretty much, um, especially the Swedish journalists because. They were like, hey, this guy isn't even a journalist. So now he's coming here and he's broadcasting through YouTube or whatever. And it was, it was, it was quite some buzz uh, about it. 
and we were like hey what did why... he say about can i ask was it accurate reporting at all or no <sighs> well no you know as accurate as it could be because it would be like if i just go to a random place and i say hey um it seems pretty well it's not nothing is happening well yeah <laughs> i don't know <laughs> i mean yeah it's like well it was accurate what he said but it was still it, it was very shallow yeah, so to speak and you know so i can really i can really relate to what you what you're saying about you know you the the journalists from the united states coming to jamaica um covering mm -hmm. some event that they don't even understand and they don't mm -hmm. you know they never even get the chance to understand it sort of exactly yeah it was frustrating for us especially because i feel like I feel like people are very, and I, this is a, I'm going to try not to get too far up on the soapbox, but I think people do vilify um, big me media agencies a lot. I think they're very quick to be like, the media is doing this, and the media is doing that, and the media is doing this, and the media doesn't want to hear from like foreign voices. And I think it's not that the media doesn't want to hear from freelance voices or like doesn't want to hear from foreign voices. I think it's just that the current system isn't set up in a way that allows it very easily. The detriment to us all, I think, um, especially for, like, I mean, I feel like within Sweden, well, actually, no, this is an interesting question. Within Sweden, would you care about, like, getting published outside of Swedish newspapers or no? Yes. Sort of. Yes. <laughs> well, you know, <laughs> it depends. Um, well, well, of like, course, I would say no. Yeah. Why not? Personally, yes. But... Uh, the Swedish newspapers, well, it's only, you know, on, on their big occasions, like uh, uh, during this last night in Sweden incident-ish, uh, a lot of newspapers published uh, articles in English, you know, translated Swedish articles, but it's not very common. Yeah, I, the, I just, I mean, in terms of just like how you think people look at Sweden, Sweden on a world stage it's affected by how often or not like Swedish people are published in other publications like Swedish writers and Swedish journalists or actually well you know everyone really likes Sweden so maybe this isn't a problem for you guys <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know but sort of because um, we should probably thank Donald Trump because he he sort of put <laughs> us in this in the spotlight, you know. Uh, Sweden is a pretty small country. Uh, we aren't very often, you know, noticed uh, in in the world press. But the thing is that the especially the American news agencies uh, they used some some uh, foreign experts like Swedish experts which weren't experts at all they were like the, it was really really fake news sort of because you know they could interview some guy uh saying that you know i was part of the government blah blah and and everybody here was like no he wasn't he's 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 obviously a phony sort of and so you know it would have been good if we had some some Swedish journalists who, um, uh, how do you say, you know, were big names outside yeah. of Sweden as well. Um, I think, well, I think the good thing about journalism, there's, I mean, there's so much about journalism now that can be said is scary and really terrifying. But I think one of the good things about it is that because it's so democratized now, like because of the internet, um, 
it won't really, I don't think an institution will stand for very long being too elitist. And I think that this is a really great opportunity for journalists like me who are from these smaller countries that people don't really normally pay attention to or don't respect that much to get their own voices out there. Um, and I think, I think a knock-on effect of something like having different voices is, is increasing empathy. I think when you understand that people in a different country or in a people in a different place are like you or what's happening there is going to affect you, saying it'll actually change how people act. We can only hope it'll change how people act. I don't know how much what people read changes how they act um, based on my last few years on the job. But it is something I'm really excited about having worked for Hackback and something I'm really excited about working in journalism right now, just seeing how these communities form and are really strong, like the journalism Slack community that we're part of right now, how great that's been. Like we would never have had a chance to meet each other or swap ideas otherwise, but it's it's so easy now. And I think if we can make that spill over into legacy news media somehow, it's ambitious, but I think, you know, what's life for that ambition? And uh, now we should actually get to the point and <laughs> to the topic. And Sorry. Uh, no, 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 it's actually good. Uh, and uh, for those still, uh, no, no, for those uh, to listen, I, I'm not sure if everyone knows what's hack, what the hack pack is about. So, in like a few sentences, what do you do and what's the purpose of the of the? Uh, can I call it initiative or organization? Sure, startup week. I mean, but th those sound way more legitimate. <laughs> so cool. Yes, initiative. Um, thank you for that question. That is a good question. I should have said Hackpack, hackpack.press. Um, we're, we're a team, we're a startup, and what we try and do is we have you sign up either as a, a journalist, a fixer, an editor, a producer, uh, and we have marketers and PR people too because, you know, there are shared skills there and that helps us keep sustainable. Um, you can come onto our website. You can and create a platform you get verified by us like one of us has to go look at your profile and you have to give us a link to an external profile so we can look at you and samples of your work and if you're a legitimate journalist you get put in our database and editors who have signed up from major media outlets like vice or the bbc or or what have you um can go through and they can look at your profile and they can look for your past work and they can search for you by your location your language your expertise where you are right now and um, who you've worked for before, I think. So we're, we're LinkedIn more specialized for journalists is the best way I can put it, even though that's not what it is at all. But it's free <laughs> for journalists. It's working really well. Um, it's a good way of, we're sort of like a bank of journalists. That, I mean, we go around and we meet people so that they know what we've done and they know our experience and they know that we know our business. And um, then they can see that we can see also other people who know their business. And it's been working out so far. We have We've got really good transactions. We've got people interested in us. And um, I'm always thrilled when someone comes and says, we actually did get something published or I actually did find someone within like 12 hours on the ground in France. Um, it's really great. I'm really glad to see that it's working. Um, there, are a couple, there are a couple places out there that have been trying to do it, but as in journalism, you know, you learn from the mistakes of another startup. So, well, hopefully we're, we're around for the long haul. I'm not actually with them for much longer, but um, yeah. they do well. So you're going to be up for grabs pretty soon, right? Like in a month. I so. am going to be up for grabs. <laughs> uh, Hackpack is, I really do support them entirely, but as you read out on my little resume, it's been a lot of moving. Mm. <laughs> 27 years old, I need to settle. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Sounds serious, actually. <laughs> Not really, I'm just, yeah. I'm, I'm old before my time, but it's been, it's, I think it's been 
how many countries now? One, five. two, three, four, five countries in something like three years or so. It's just been too much. So where are you settling down? Is it London or someplace else? Oh, that's the fun of the world. Well, visas are an interesting situation right now. I don't know if you've heard. <laughs> <laughs> it's well... a bit tricky. <laughs> Uh, we'll see how that breaks out. I'm in London right now, but I'm I'm with Hackback in London, so we'll see what happens after that. Okay. Um well, you know, speaking of all this traveling and and hackpack and freelancing, what mm-hmm. how how would you describe the state of freelancing uh in journalism? in our you know in the news industry because it's um it's according to to david the freelancing sector is basically non-existent in slovakia while in sweden really yeah david could you tell us a little about about yeah a little uh, bit about it? I, i don't know what's the situation in jamaica i i see you have like up to three million people living there yeah <laughs> and uh so slovakia it's like around uh, a little bit above five million and so you have the traditional media organizations and actually i can count the freelance journalists on like on the fingers of one of my hand there are actually like two or three of them uh in, in slovakia so the situation is not really open for freelancing because um if you want to do something uh like big you always need needs to be backed by an organi- like a traditional media organization who have like lawyers and uh anything you need and um the thing is that it's um I, i'm not sure if the the freelance journalists have the uh credibility of the journalists who work in traditional media actually hmm. That is a big part. Sorry, journalists make the worst guess. They always ask you questions instead of answering yours. But one question. Um, so if there is a if there's a story that goes against um like that's really controversial or that would just annoy the wrong people in the country. Yeah. There's there is still like a news institution that will very happily take that on. Like you don't need freelancers to do that dirty work. No, no, no. Actually, yeah, there are like the traditional media will go after that. Yeah, so, so you don't no... you don't have any government censorship sort of no actually we are like year by year we are getting better in the also the free press um uh index done by uh, i don't know who's doing that but you, you know what i'm talking about right yeah. yes yeah well that's a, that's a really healthy yeah no that's a i mean it sucks for freelancers but that's really good for your system very proud um but for freelancers in the rest of the world i think it's a really I think it's getting more and more important even um especially as new organizations because it's it's more expensive to have a staffed position than to pay a freelancer for a story. And it's yeah. much more expensive yeah. to send a writer somewhere to cover a story than to get a freelancer from somewhere else to cover a story. Now, I mean that's good and bad if every journalist in the world would have a staff position at the media outlet of their choice, but what can you do? Um in the world that we're living in now i think freelancing it's definitely flawed like there are so many reports of freelancers getting ripped off i don't know if you saw that one that the cgr put out about vice and how it treats freelancers a while back a few months ago yeah no not really what 
please give, a, so give us a recap. So for those of us who haven't read it, yeah. <laughs> could you elaborate, <laughs> please? Sorry, Henrik, do you want to take this or should I? No, uh, go ahead. I mean, I worked with Vice and I have a lot of good things to say about them, but at the same time, and they did a problem where big name freelancers really, really want to write for them because the more good bylines you get, the better. So they knew people were very desperate to write for them. And as such, what could happen is you could get, you could commission a freelancer for a story. So they would send you their stuff. You didn't necessarily have to pay them or you'd pay them like a year late or you'd switch the fees halfway through. But what can a freelancer do, right? Their work is, it's already into you. It's not, they can take it back and it's going to be too much to sue them or, um, they would use a fixer. So I, I, for anyone who doesn't know a fixer is someone on the ground who helps a journalist. They, they connect them to all the resources they need in a city or country they don't know. They, hey, if you were doing this kind of story, who would you get? And they would tell them and then they would go use them, which is of course using their services um, and they wouldn't be paid. And it was things like that. I think I'm, I think I'm relating those stories correctly. I read it a while ago. Either way, it's there. It's on the, it's on the Columbia Journalism Review site. Um, but the, the heartening thing about it was that although this was happening, this is a practice that's been going on for ages, but because freelancers are becoming more and more important, there could be huge outrage about this. And like, you can get, it provoked a response from Vice being like, we're really sorry, our bad, we're going to fix this. Um, I haven't followed up. I don't know if they have, but um, freelancers are getting more power and they are getting more recognition. Journalists. And I think that was, a, a, a as you said before, like, freelancers don't normally have the reputation of someone on a staff position. And I think that's same. I think that stigma still sticks around. But I think more and more as we're more globalized and we need stories from far corners of the world and news agencies don't have the money to be sending people and they don't have the money to be covering it the way they need to. It's it's getting, that's more and more opportunity. And that's also, it's just really vital to have freelance voices sending in pieces. Um, and I think it's really good because it disrupts the status quo. Because you can't, obviously, when you're hiring someone, you're sort of choosing someone you like, you're sort of choosing someone in your culture, that's just the way humanity is. But when you need a story like this, um, you just need to get someone who's good, who's on the ground, who's like completely out of your purview. And that's really original, and that can really shake things up. And it really does, I think, add more to the spectrum of voices that we're hearing in international news. And so, yeah, I think freelance is, it's, it's rocky, and it's uneven, and it's a tough life, but... I think the way the media industry is evolving now, it's more and more important and it will only continue to get so. I, I Again, like with everything in journalism, I don't know how that's going to end up, but <laughs> I'm excited to watch it. Um, in the, It was the January or the February issue of uh, of uh, Wired magazine and the, the main story was about New York Times and it was done by a freelancer actually. Yeah, there are some good, there's some good ones of us out there. I used to do it back in the day when I had time. Maybe I'll be doing it again, who knows? <laughs> <laughs> and um, uh, about Hackback, uh, when, when I get back to it, well, I first, I think it was somewhere on social media, I would say Twitter, or maybe maybe it was in the in the community, in the digital journalism rocks community, I registered, mm -hmm. and uh, for, on the first site, I, I've seen only like a bunch of fellowships there. So I thought, oh, okay, so this is a site where I can get a, like a, uh, they will send me every week uh, the, all the fellowships in the newsletter. Literally, this is what I thought about the hackback at, at, <laughs> at first. Uh, so um, it's really good uh, clarifying that. <laughs> uh, no, no, I mean, sorry, continue. No, just could you tell us uh, who are like who, who are the big names um, uh, you have uh, registered, like BBC and who who else? 
So you know how organizations don't like to um to say like if it's somewhere like the BBC, um they don't like to say the BBC is looking for. They'll say like reputable London-based media organization is yeah. seeking, and then who applies. They do that a lot through us, and uh, not them specifically, people. I just don't know which ones are the ones that are hiding their names off the top of my head and which ones aren't. Hmm. Oh, I yeah. see. <laughs> 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 I'm sorry. Okay, but we know BBC is there, right? <laughs> we have one. <laughs> okay, let's let's try this from a different angle. Uh, like okay. which which countries uh, are like We are in 135 different countries, so there's quite a few of them. Wow. What yeah, we're from are most of the like seeking media. Sorry. Sorry? Like, we're from the countries uh, where the the big medias who are hiring are from like is it US and UK or anyone else? I have to ask you, are you in Sweden and Slovakia? I don't know about Slovakia. We're definitely in Sweden. Oh, that's We're nice. definitely in Sweden. Yeah. I don't know if we're in Slovakia. I can check. I'm, uh, I'm not sure. David should help you launch in Slovakia. <laughs> if we have someone in Slovakia, it's going to be no more than 10 people. But um, I think we might have someone there. Um, mm-hmm. What are they saying? Who are our major, like, where are they? Honestly, the major markets are Russia and India. Mm. Really? Yeah, I know. I know. So, so they mean, really thriving humor. So you mean Russian media outlets mm-hmm. um, hires hack pack journalists uh, for coverage on, on you know, um, in countries outside of Russia or India? Well, even within Russia, like oh. <laughs> Russia's huge. <laughs> yeah, yeah, of course. And, and- well, <laughs> And do you do do you verify the media organizations? Because, for example, the the when we talk about Russia, I I'm, I don't know how uh, how you do this in in Hackpack, but uh, for example, we have this issue that Russia has uh, uh, these uh, media organizations which are like um, government operated, and uh, you know the Russia Today and so on, and they have because because people already know that the russia today is like this they've already made these little media organizations which are part of russia today or the other government controlled media and uh, people do not actually know that they are part of this so how do you do you, do you differentiate or do you not care about that in terms of do you not care who we're working with <laughs> no so in terms of verifying the people that we're working with so for example I couldn't tell you how the Russian one works because the we have a Russian lead, head of Russian CIS, and they will be dealing with those clients. And normally with the clients we're, we're like who are searching for people through us, we will get to know them. Like we do actually meet them in person. Um, that's one way of verifying. <laughs> um, I don't know. I, I, I suppose in all of the, the ones that I've dealt with personally myself in Latin America, I mean, Latin America, I don't – actually, I think this is – journalism industry anywhere if you spend enough time in it you get to know who's who it's just sort of like a family like you you just you know pretty quickly whether someone's legit or not or you will have heard of them um and so in that way i mean you're verifying because you're within the family uh within russia honestly couldn't tell you don't speak russian myself if you can get my ceo on this podcast he'll be much better than me 
Okay, we should maybe <laughs> get him and ask about this because yeah. I'm really curious about uh, because um, if I registered to to Hackpack, I would uh, maybe want uh, like you as the initiative or the institution to uh, provide me jobs that are not, um, for example, paid by uh, Russian government. Even even though it's uh, if it's uh, only like reporting about nothing serious but but still i don't know what what do you think about that henrik do do you do you get what i'm talking about yeah absolutely um for the russian government i should check i really don't want to do that yeah but then again i don't know um i totally get what you uh, it's it's a very interesting question of course especially since we're talking about Russia and uh, of course Russia isn't the only country with these kind of issues uh, with government mm. controlled media outlets of course um, but Russia just has the worst PR for it I think I think Russia I mean I don't, I'm not denying that Russia has terrible censorship and media problems but the funny thing is um well within working in this industry you realize I mean, bring the name Russia, you you should see the reactions you get from people um, <laughs> that you work in Russia in journalism. Um, but there are so many different markets and so many different problems and um, so many. It's a very big country. Yeah. Sometimes we forget how big yeah. Russia is, of course. Yeah. Yeah. And um, that I have actually, again, maybe though this is because I work in my part of the world, I would never presume to compare who has it worse but i sometimes do wish like if i told people like well working in journalism in mexico like people would be really aware of the terrible stuff that's happening there with journalists right now um where there's just this swath of violence against them or um in terms of like how hard it is training journalists for corruption in brazil for example um and this is another thing i i'm hoping will happen um as as freelance journalists and as international journalists get more power in the international media is we get a better idea of the fact that like each countries are not just their brand because there is so much more to Russia than censorship and there's um, hmm. so much more to than India than like the Taj Mahal. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It, yeah. It makes yes. total sense. Yeah. Very sensible. Yeah. Uh -huh. Another thing I've been uh, meaning to ask you um, is girls globe because for the last three ah. years yeah for the last three years you've been a contributing writer um a blogger yeah. for girls globe um an educational platform with more than ten thousand followers uh <laughs> focused on the rights health education and empowerment of girls and women yeah yeah so oh gosh I'm, you're asking me about them i'm so glad they're like my favorite people um yeah, Girls Globe was, and this is, Girls Globe was what made me start realizing that there's immense power in networks. Um, it was when, so I graduated undergrad in 2012, which was shortly after this little recession thing. I don't know if you remember it. Didn't yeah. go too well for anybody. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> and there was just no work at home. Um, and it was it was a really tough time for everybody my age. I'm sure everybody your age too. Um, and um, yeah, I, as I, I was trying to get work as a journalist as anything, I couldn't do it. And Girls Globe was, it was this grassroots startup out of, out of Sweden, actually, I think. 
I think it is. Um, where was this woman who decided she wanted to be showcasing the voices of girls and women around the world? And um, one day I wrote something for them and they liked it and they asked me to come on as a steady blogger. And as they got more and more money and they got more and more high profile, like eventually I got to not only be writing reviews for them, like I got to be actually doing reporting for them. And then I got to go like to trips to report with the UN with them. And I realized, um, yeah, I mean, that's how much that can do that can take someone like and I got into school or like I got into journalism school and I got my job from clips from Girls Globe or with work I'd done with Girls Globe. And it made me realize how very important it is just to have and that the internet can offer that um, very easily to people who, I mean, in a traditional journalism model, that would never have happened. No one would ever have published, like, uh, what was I, a, a, a 22-year-old girl from Kingston? Um, like, no one would have been interested in what I have to say. And thanks to a place like Girls Globe, um, although it was, like, hard going at first, trying to get money and work right at the same time, um, it eventually got me here, which is, you know, not too bad. Yeah, absolutely. Not too bad at all. Um, what did you write? <laughs> I mean, the very first article you you wrote for Girls Globe, what did you write? Oh, gosh, you're taking me back now, Henrik. Uh, three years ago was the first thing I wrote for Girls Globe. <laughs> um, I think it was about, oh, it was back when um, there was some controversy about, it was when Islamophobia was starting to rise in the United States of America, and it was starting to be against women who wore um, burqas. And it was just about that that was maybe not the most sensible thing. I wouldn't recommend reading it. I wrote it three years ago. I have gotten better since then. <laughs> yeah, you know, I was gonna post a link. <laughs> no, <laughs> but, but you know, I can. We could refrain and I, uh, from doing. You and me that are over. <laughs> um, but you know, speaking of girls' globe, um. You know what? Uh, how about gender equality in journalism? Gender equality in the news industry? Um, do you think are we going in the right direction? Both, you know, um, speaking of journalists, I mean, voices being heard, uh, both from journalists but also people we are interviewing. You know, are we progressing fast enough? And and also. What about like ethnic uh, diversity? What's the state mm. of of gender equality and and like ethnic diversity in the news industry today? A really good question. Um, I will try and answer it quickly. Um, and then as well, though, I'm if you couldn't tell, very liberal, and <laughs> so I'm in very liberal circles. <laughs> and um, within that, I think I'm a bit. I've been working really hard not to, not to be, but within liberal circles, there is a very active effort to be including women and including um, different ethnicities and different experiences. And I appreciate that. Um, and I think a lot of places are doing it much better than they used to. Um, overall, I think it's, I, I, you know, there's still progress to be made. I, I do think, I do think there's a problem we have where people diversity is such a buzzword right now like like we have a yeah. diverse like <laughs> writers we have a diverse like set of opinions but um i remember thinking um at this one organization which shall remain nameless um that i went into that was very proud of their diversity it was their staff and it was i i, I will admit it was a 
it was a very ethnically diverse staff. Um, and I think they, they spoke different languages and they lived in different places, but they all went to the same university. Their parents were probably with all in the same like salary, like bracket, and they all lived around the same place now. Hmm. And so that's very token diversity. Yeah. Um, and I think that's a lot of problems. Like I think, for example, if you're getting the voice of women, but you're only getting the voice of middle-class women who live in like London and New York and Los Angeles. Yeah. I don't know how much that's doing overall. Mm. Um, and I think that's something that we might be sticking with right now. But that being said, the effort, the fact that people are noticing is huge. The Times ran an op-ed, actually, I think by the, by the public editor, the public desk editor, about the fact that the New York Times need to get better at gender diversity, which I thought was amazing um, that they're calling themselves out like that. I don't know how much farther it will go, but... I, I, I'm I'm very encouraged. I don't think where we need to be, but I mean, what do you guys think? Yeah, how about you, Henrik? Do you want? To... <laughs> <No>. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you go first. Okay. <laughs> well, in Sweden, it's like if you if we um, look at uh, journalists in Sweden, I'd say it's about fifty fifty. Um, like, if we're talking about employees, uh, journalists with employment. I, I think it's even 51 to 49 uh, women, women 50, 51%, 49% men, but men still holds the majority of the uh, managing uh, titles, the managing jobs. So even though we, even though we have gender equality um, with quotation quotation marks it's it's still <clears throat> like uh, it's still controlled by men so to speak um, and i mean most of of the news uh, newsrooms in in sweden are actively working with uh, gender equality and and ethnical diversity both uh, i mean within the organization but also uh, also the coverage of what we what we are reporting how we are reporting it which experts we are um, interviewing um, but it's yeah it's slow progress uh, considering that it's already 2017 mm, yes it's like it's actually uh, at the moment uh, the editors of in chief of the biggest uh, like newspapers are women. Mm. Um, that's good. So that's that, that that's a new one actually. It's been like this for two years almost. Maybe no, maybe more. That's, that's great. So yeah, but the, the that's the like the the, the visible layer and uh... like the invisible layer which like people don't see is. Um, so the heads of the publishing houses are all men. Um, so, uh, so I would say like there are these these two, but but still it's a like two people. The people don't see the managing of the the publishing house. So so if 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 you're a reader and you look at it, you see okay. So this this uh, newspaper has a woman as editor in chief. This one does as well. So that's a strong message actually. But uh, if you I mean as I said, look uh, behind that, uh, there there are still men and. They 
that actually when I, I'm I tend to like sit in those uh, like some of the the meetings and they are all men. It's mm. I, I I I'm not really comfortable always yeah. there. So uh, it's it's kind of like you know old school. You you would want to hear uh, uh, another perspective, and yeah. if if you talk about ethnicity, that that's not actually a question in Slovakia because um, uh, the 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 whole nation is quite conservative, and if you even we had the refugee crisis two years ago, no one wanted to stay in Slovakia, <laughs> so <laughs> <laughs> so. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Uh, well, people weren't were, were not really welcoming on the one hand, but on the other hand, everyone wanted to go like <laughs> through and past Slovakia. So we are not really sexy for <laughs> abroad. <laughs> people abroad. <laughs> well, so that if, if that is will change one day, I'm, I'm sure we will try and reflect on that in the newsrooms as well. But at the moment, we I, I think we should uh, focus on the the thing. Uh, like to get more like women into managing managing positions yeah i mean the editor-in-chief yeah. is a strong managing position but there are like even more positions where they could be also in journalism politics that it's, yeah. it's it's totally sucks it's like like the the the, the 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 women are like i'm i'm not sure even if they're like 20 percent um oh in sweden uh, in, the, in like in uh, in Sweden, we have eight uh, political political parties in our parliament, and and the four of of these parties uh, have women in charge. Wow! Yeah, and that's nice. That's really good. Yeah, and the th- the funny thing is that all of them are liberal slash conservative, and. And, you know, the word liberal in Sweden, it's not really like, you know, the English word liberal. I mean, when you talk about liberals in in the United States, um, that's like progressive left-wing people. In Sweden, Mm -hmm. liberals, they are more like the the left (laughs) right-wing, so to speak. Because in Sweden, uh, yeah, <laughs> in Sweden we have we have socialists. Those are the real left wing, you know. They're no bloody liberals. Liberals, you know, they are they are almost conservative. So, um, so you know, we have social democrats and we have actual That's socialists, it. and they are on the left, and they are all um, controlled by men. So, in fact, we have this one party which has both so it, it's it's actually five women and four men I went for all. yeah so that's, <laughs> that's well cool. done sweden yeah but we still haven't had a, a female prime minister which which is to make you know, a dance, it, it you know it doesn't make sense at all because sweden is much more progressive than norway and denmark and finland and all of them you know, all of them have had you know, female prime ministers, and Finland, the Finland, they have even they even had you know a female president for God's sake. We're still like, yeah, we're still waiting for our first female prime minister. It sucks. Yeah. Oh, 
Okay, so Henrik, uh, yeah. have you checked the time? Yeah. Um, I think we should ask our last question. Will yes. you will you do the honors? Yeah. Oh, isn't it your turn? Didn't I ask the last question? No. no I, I have a question, so I yeah. can go for yeah. for it. You know, uh, we we need to be equal, you and me, David. <laughs> <laughs> uh, real life effect. Uh, okay so farah um yeah the last question is kind of obvious but but so you've been freelancing a lot traveling a lot so um what about how about you give us like also us and also the listeners some tips how to like how to get published uh, for wise or uh, what what um what 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 to do if you want to get noticed in the world in the journal firstly world, and this obviously. is someone who's been taking yeah the how you write your pitches how you write to editors is so important remember these people are busy these people are not your friends these people do not want to like come to dinner and talk about your your goals and dreams with you as much as you'd like that um when you're sending a pitch be respectful and write it it should be no longer than maybe three or four paragraphs um and make it to the point like make sure they know where you're going to be um who you're going to talk to why that story is important make it like make sure they know you know your stuff and then if you can give them um a reason why you should be the person who's writing this thing so don't be like i'm interested in writing this like for example if i was saying i want to write about i just did a story uh, what i just did a story about um women's rights a women's rights issue in Brazil. And I, I'm, I'm not even in Brazil. I was going to be, but I wasn't. So, um, but I still said, I should write about this because I spent time here and here are my contacts and like, here's previous work I've done on the subject. Um, and I didn't include it all. I was like, have a website, have a portfolio active, like be very professional. Be like, if you want to know more here, like respect their time. Editors like people who respect their time. Um, and another thing about getting published is don't be too shy about it. Like I think people think a lot of the time, like, I'm not good enough to be published by this place. Like, this place doesn't want to hear from me. But if you look at Hackpack's blog, you'll see we put out these things all the time, which are compilations of calls for pitches. And um, it's editors all the time being like, send me story ideas, like, send me things. You as editors are stuck in their offices. They don't have time that much time to be looking for stories. They really want to hear good stories. So if you think you do have a good story, and that's a whole other question about if you have a good story or not. But if you think you have a good story, go ahead and pitch The Guardian. Go ahead and pitch, I think, like Vice. Go ahead and pitch The New York Times. That one's a bit harder, I think. But, um, you know, I think the third story I ever got published was at The Guardian. So I hadn't had, like, that much of a pedigree before. But it was just because they wanted that story. And so I think it's important that as a freelancer, like, you work really hard, um, you're really respectful, but then you also respect yourself. Like, you know, your own talent, you know, your own story is worth. Um, yeah, I think, I mean, freelancing it also don't be afraid of rejection. <laughs> you're going to get rejected. You're going to get rejected. Half of my inbox is rejected. I mean, even um, JK Rowling was rejected. Right. Multiple times over. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I think it's just, it's 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 like anything else in life it's working hard and and being sensible and being tough and having faith in yourself also there's being a good journalist but i don't know if i can address how to be a good journalist 
in this podcast. So. <laughs> yeah. Next That's time. Another, also, I, yeah. Next time. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, also I see you you write uh, blogs on your website, uh, the farahmohammed dot com. Uh, so oh, Leo, I don't I don't blog anymore, unfortunately. Nothing I say is interesting. Oh, okay. But would you say a website is better for a freelance journalist or is it better to be active on social media plus medium, for example? And like oh, I see what you're saying. Um, a website works for me. So the thing is, I'm not actually, I'm not that active as a freelancer because I have a full-time job. Um, so this works for me in just that when I want to freelance, I can be like, I have a bunch of other stuff that you can look at. Um, if you are full-time freelancing um it might be better to have a blog it really just depends on if it's good <laughs> i mean content, content is king. as always <laughs> always um, but definitely yeah. no you should definitely be active on twitter um definitely be active on twitter even if you're not tweeting your own stuff i very rarely tweet something myself i'll more retweet but it at least shows you're keeping in touch with the industry and that's mm -hmm. a way of keeping in touch with other people um Or, or, or like letting other people know that you're following them. Um, and, you know, Facebook rules our whole lives, so I don't need to go into that. Yeah. <laughs> It goes without saying. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You, you all know that. <laughs> Guys, this has been so much fun. It was great having you on the podcast, uh, Farah. Thanks. And uh, we wish you a lot of, you know, we wish you all the best in your, uh, in the future as a freelancer or whatever you will do because now you're up for grabs <laughs> yeah. I'll be around so The Guardian, New York Times uh, if you listen to this in a month or so you could call Farah I'm sure they are listening Henrik I'm, yeah. I'm sure they tune in every week <laughs> um, and of course uh, if you're listening to this podcast you should, you should check out our, our website which is checkyourfacts.eu and that's EU as in David European Union which is still standing <laughs> so check yeah. yeah up and running up, up and, and running. running guys and uh, yeah don't forget to follow us on all the social networks Facebook Twitter uh, we are actually active on Anchor thanks to Henrik yeah. and uh, to You can also follow our blogs. We blog on, on, on our about our failures, about our um, recording failures. I mean, <laughs> because uh, that that's a thing for us, um, as Farah can <laughs> also <laughs> witness. And um, yeah, don't forget to subscribe to our newsletter. We do a newsletter, and we are on uh, Refi, so uh, uh, which is which is a. Uh, very nice a personalized newsletter service um, yeah startup yeah it's a startup from, from the netherlands. netherlands yeah and uh, yes yeah, thanks so much uh sarah uh, farah for uh, coming to the podcast it's been a lot of fun yeah it's been a pleasure i was gonna say it's been what like that's very ominous okay <laughs> 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 all right good night guys yeah Okay. Right. That's it, Bye. folks. Hear from us soon again. And remember, always check your facts. <laughs> yeah, that's especially important if you're a freelancing journalist. <laughs> you know, speaking of credibility and stuff. <laughs>
I'm just, I'm just wondering, Farah. You said like good night, and what if someone's listening in the morning? Well, it's, uh, it's well, good morning then, and good afternoon, <laughs> good day. Yeah. No, no, no. It's a uh, just. Feliz okay, Navidad. Cool. Okay. So <laughs> that's it. Do, do you have the audio, Henrik? I do. It's. Uh... Ah. Oh, sorry. I forgot to hit the record button. <laughs> Could we do it all over again? No. <laughs> Uh, actually, this this is this is this is a thing. This happened to us when we were recording with Sasha Koren, right? Yeah.